Hello, I'm Kath Brazier and welcome to this special edition of Forces Sport. It's 10 years since London hosted the Summer Olympic Games. Team GB won 29 gold medals, which included one for Royal Navy rowing star Pete Reid. He was part of the men's coxless four and had a glittering sporting career that saw him crowned Olympic champion three times. He then returned to his career in the senior service. But his life changed forever in 2019 when he suffered a spinal stroke, leaving him paralysed from the chest down. Last week, he was medically discharged from the Royal Navy. So Julian Evans and I chatted to him about that, his life and his aspirations for the future. This, 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 this is Sport. Well, hello and welcome to the Forces Sport podcast. And I'm delighted this week that we've got to speak to triple Olympic gold medalist, Pete Reid. <laughs> yeah. And you are so much more than a, a triple Olympic gold medalist. Obviously, you've just left the Royal Navy and we want to talk a lot about that life. But you continue to live many lives. And um, I think it's, it's very fair to say that you're an inspiration to many. Um, but you managed to keep your feet on the ground, which is always a good thing. Um, Let's start with the obvious, you know, you've just left the Navy, that announcement was made last week. Yeah. What, where did that decision come from? You know, what were the sort of machinations leading up to it? And what are your sort of memories of, of that life in the Navy? So, loads of questions and loads to talk about too. And um, so, starting with that, you, loads of hats and loads of things, I don't even know what they are yet. And now, especially after leaving the Navy, I don't even know what I am yet. So, the... Um, so I, I knew it was coming mm-hmm. because I'd asked for it. The Navy, I've got to say, it's the best thing I ever did. I said that on social media just this week because this was time, um, my, my time was up. Best thing I ever did was joining the Navy. And not enough people know, although I talk about it all the time, if I hadn't have joined the Navy, chances are I wouldn't have found rowing. So I found rowing during my training. So, and it's not just that. And we've got my wheelchair here and change of circumstances, which we'll come to, I'm sure. Um, but... I wouldn't have done anything differently. I love the Navy. They always did right by me. And even it was a medical discharge that I left with. That was a very amiable conversation that was two-way of how can we make this bit work. Um, And the Navy came good again. So I did leave. It's with a hint of sadness, of course, because it was nearly 23 years service, a little bit different service, but service nonetheless. And my identity is wrapped up with being in the Navy and my sense of belonging and sense of purpose and sense of fulfillment and and those are all big things to suddenly lose overnight when these days you cut the corners off your ID card <laughs> but there's and hang your uniform up and there is a sense of loss and that but that's the only sad bit um, my goodness me that's the only sad bit but you so you do feel but it's it's a relief as well. Thanks for asking. It's a relief because as I, as I was back into role in a wonderful job, which I hope we can talk about as well, I was kind of tracking south of my rehab because I, I wanted to do a good job. I didn't want to let the Navy down or myself down. I like do, We all like doing a good, good job, right? Um, but also there was another, the, this fourth factor was I... I didn't want to let future injured personnel down who were trying to come through rehab and then come back into service with an injury and have some more complex needs. I I didn't want to ever be, well, we tried this with Pete and it didn't work, so the answer is no. So 
and I, I, I don't think that will ever be the answer. I was in, the, in my role for 18 months and just as I started tracking south with my health and asking the questions, um, sir, in this case, uh, sir, can we, can we um, work out how we could be a bit more creative with how my relationship with the Navy works? So they did right by me again. Amazing, really. Well, our, our audience will know you from being in the Royal Navy, but others might not. And of course, if we can rewind it slightly back to the beginning of all of this, as you said, it was being part of that Royal Navy family that introduced you to rowing. And it's a well-told story amongst the three of us, but <laughs> did you sit on an ergo for the first time when you were a student and just sort of being part of that early life with the Royal Navy? Isn't that how this this whole journey started for you? I mean, people will only recognise you from being that awfully tall fella every four years on the Olympic Games. Yeah, um, yeah w w one, of, one of a crew, uh, but it all, start, yeah, it all started with the Navy. So I joined, actually, on my 18th birthday is when I passed my interview to join the Navy, and then a couple of months later went to Dartmouth, and up until that point, uh, I was terrible at sport. I've told this story a lot as well, so PE teacher, my PE teacher at school famously at a, a parents' evening told my mum that I was an unremarkable pupil. And, and, it, and that's true, so he, he was right. I, I wasn't very good at basketball or football or... I mean, Have you got that frame somewhere, that report? Unre unremarkable <laughs> pupil. Is that, what's, is that what's driven you on? Yeah, <laughs> that school report. I'll prove you. I'll show you. <laughs> Mr. Christensen. Oh, oh and you've got his name. name. Of course you Paul do. Christensen. Okay. Right there. Called him out. Wonderful man. Um, oh, that's Mr. Christensen. Mr. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Christensen to me. Um, so luckily I wasn't traumatised too much. But uh, he was right. I wasn't very good at sports at school. And I'd try my hardest, but just not be great. And then joined the Navy got very fit um, in, in basic training. Part of training was uh, I was away at sea um, for my initial sea training, it was called, and the ship's physical training instructor, um, that I can call him PTI to most of our audience. Uh, ship's PTI was a guy called, can I name check him as yeah. well? Of course. LPTI Nacruz, who went on to be Commander Nacruz. Um, but he sat me on a rowing machine and said, we're doing this thousand metre challenge, everyone's doing it in the fleet off you go, pull as hard as you can. Um, so it wasn't even that he spotted you as tall and talented, it was just everyone was doing it. So. Well, so we were a, a new batch from BRNC. Right. So, uh, so the young, going through training, so fit guys, told what, to um, told what to do, pull hard. And I still remember my splits, I still remember that it was about 50 degrees on the upper deck <laughs> in the Gulf at the time uh, of HMS Exeter. Um, and you know um, the ergo was actually powering the ship along. <laughs> <laughs> faster, yeah, Reed, yeah, faster. <laughs> okay, but it was it was a good time. Um, three oh five. If anybody's interested, three minutes and five seconds oh my. for a thousand meters. Wow. But it was it was a horrible profile. I remember the pain and the exhaustion and that sort of taste of blood in your mouth that that only an ergo can really do to you. I remember going back down to three Papa Mess to try and recover afterwards. And I remember later in the day, the, the commanding officer on board was a former rower, a guy called Commander Paul Bennett, who went on to be Admiral Paul Bennett, um, but found me to say, when you go to university next year, you should try rowing. That's a good time. BZ. Yeah. And uh, me, and I was lowest of the low on board, but, um, but it was uh, nice to even see the captain, but having him speak to me was great. Uh, so that was a... That was a a moment that I didn't forget and then and then I started rowing at university the next year. There must have been something about your leadership qualities when you were rowing because didn't you become club captain 
when you were when you were rowing, didn't they earmark you for? Yeah, that's right. Mm. So that was very early on. Um, right. I think that's just a case of putting yourself forward. And but there must have been something about you, and I know that the name tag commander sprung up for you as well during your <laughs> rowing days. That, so that was a bit taboo. Uh, oh, okay. Well, no, so no, it wasn't taboo. It was fine. Jurgen Jurgen called me a command the commander for the first time. Right. I think because he wanted me to do some jobs that he didn't want to do. Oh, that's fair enough. But that well, must have been the navy connection. Oh yeah, well, of course. Yeah. He he yeah. loved he loved commander, that I was from the military. Bond, yeah. He loved that I was from the military. Um, particularly the Navy as well. Um, and there were certain roles that I took on and, I, and it helped that I'd been through BRNC. And rowing's a team sport. You know, you need to get the most out of everyone in the team. You've got to remember that no one does everything right. There were, there were lots of lessons from BRNC that were helpful um, in rowing, for sure. And I don't, think, I don't think I would have had the capacity and aptitude for what rowing required without having gone to... BRNC. Do you felt that your teammates and, and so the, the wider team, the wider GB team looked up to you for your life experiences? Because a lot of people, as, as you illustrated, you know, row at, at school, it's college, university, rowing, yeah. that's all they do. But you had life experience already. So I, I hope so in some cases. Maybe, maybe not in others. We're going to edit this programme so that that is the answer. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, so yeah, the yes, definitely. Uh, so I don't even know. But we all, so we all had our roles to play in all of the teams that we were in. And the role that I played was, I think it was being grounded and level-headed in high pressure um, and saying the right thing at the right time. So other people brought um, the glue to the boat with the right funny joke or some people brought organisation, some people just brought engines um, and, and discipline. I think mine was just being grounded. But do you think that, was, that came naturally to you? Yeah, that was, that was a natural um, sort of attribute that you already had. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I, I never once wobbled under pressure. I quite liked uh, saying the right thing to the team in high pressure situations. I quite liked being organised. Um, and, and so as someone who admits they weren't very good at sport, did, Ooh, can you, yeah, Jules is hungry. Um, did you sort of, was there a point where you kind of pinched yourself and saw, you know, as in, were you ever thankful that you'd found a sport that you, you were good at? Did you ever realise how good you were as well? You know, did you sort of question your, your abilities or were you just like, no, I'm in the right place, you know? I found home. Found, so I, I was I really happy that I found a sport that I was good at. And this is, I started my, my first time picking up an oar was September 2001 and I really liked being out in the water I liked being up early and with like-minded people so you'd finish a, a training session whilst at university before the sun was up and before other people were out of bed I quite liked that feeling and because because I liked it and my my frame and body suited rowing and I was getting more coaching because of my size ev everything was just slotting into place of I want to do more of this and get better at it um, and it was a nice feeling being good. It was that a large part of rowing is the, the watts that you can put down. Yeah. So you always do more stuff when you're good at it, right? And, and it just sort of, I, I, was, I, was, I was thrilled to be with a bunch of people who, who felt the same as well. Each Olympic Games brought with it its own special memories for you, but is there one particular Games that stands out more than most? I know at the moment we're all sort of having a bit of a 10th anniversary <laughs> look back at 2012, but is there one for you that's that's most poignant, memorable? So, the 2012, I mean, I would say that now, wouldn't I? But, 
but um, but but 2012 was special in the extreme. The, for me, I, I'm lucky, I suppose. Beijing was my first, so that's always going to be special. Um, you, you become Olympic champion. I imagine this is a bit like becoming a, a father of three, actually. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, experience don't that one day. Don't have a favourite, honestly. But you don't have a favourite, but really, you do. <laughs> yeah. You give up the other two, right? Um, oh, no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah you've got yeah, your favourite. Yeah. So, um, but Beijing first, so that's always going to be cool. But Beijing was a little bit clinical, so we were there, and uh, there, uh, yeah, it felt clinical. Enough said. Um, London 2012, we, w- we were there and it was the time of our lives. I was 31 then, so the peak age, right at my very best performance with an amazing crew, with Jürgen Grobler as um, potentially favourites. That, that, yeah, it was the time of our life and something special for, I mean, the nation were, were behind us. Hopefully we get to talk about that. But Rio as well, if you're going to ask me about it, that... And away games with that party atmosphere, it was extraordinary. Palm trees, Christ the Redeemer, <laughs> the Lagoa. The pictures um, are amazing, well, yeah. Well, you mentioned the party games. Can you give us a, a little bit of an insight of what life is like inside that athlete's village? Because we're never going to get the opportunity. But what is it? Is it? We're not sure that people ever. I wish I had more fun stories for you. <laughs> You're a rower. Come on. Yeah. Well, so we were uh, rowers in our. We compete in the first week, um, yeah. and. The, the opening ceremony happens, we are, we're competing the next day, which is why I never went to an opening ceremony. But then af- there's a, a second week of the Olympics where you, all I was doing was going out with rowers and by night having a wonderful time in this case Rio, yeah. um, and by day f- just fueled on adrenaline, just supporting other sports. Yeah. So go- going to venues, watching sports like other punters, and that would just turn in, suddenly it would be Four in the morning, you'd ha- be having a wonderful time. And by that stage, had you ditched your ID and just had your gold medal around your neck going, it's all right, it's and me. And wallet, <laughs> yeah, yeah. payment for everything. What do we have? Um, no, I never did that. I, n- I never did that. So, uh, Silly boy. So in the village, I, I, the, the most exciting thing that we did, in the, we, we lifted some weights there, of course, but a really nice thing to do, so boring, but go to the swimming pool and you can even play guess the sport with these incredible physical specimens of um, everybody's there, different shapes and sizes, and, but we'll never get the chance to see that again. The, just the, the physiology of, of these different sportsmen is incredible to see. Because they're quite extreme, I suppose. In, like, enormously yeah. extreme. Yeah. So even where you think, are you the same species? <laughs> You know, I know you're all land mammals, but surely not all human beings. I know you lamented not being a particular natural sportsman at one of the obvious sports, but when you were there, did you think, oh, I wish I'd done that instead because they're having a good time? Um, well, rowers have got tiny little calf muscles, <laughs> uh, odd-shaped creatures we are. You can spot a row a mile away. We've also got, we've got sort of um, scratches on the back of our calf muscles from, from the runners in the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, odd-breed rowers. And then these enormous quads... Uh, and big shoulders bolted onto it. Hodgie had a big belly. F- odd shape. Um, so did I want to do anything belly. else? It, it was kind of muscly yeah, belly, but, but, but looks, it, he was just barrel shaped. Yeah. Very strange. Um, other sports. If I could have been good at other sports, then I would have been. Not, not just, I mean, actually, we didn't crave money or fame, but you could pick any other sport um, and you could be in a better shape in that way than right. rowing. Um, would I have chosen to be good at anything else? Sprinting would have been great. Yeah. Sprinting would, I think, being, being the fastest human on board. 
Well, I mean, you you were in a way just on on on, on, on yeah in a boat. Yeah, with a whole load of caveats for well, two thousand well. meters <laughs> with that crew. Well, let's see Usain Bolt try and do it then, shall we? Yeah, 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 yeah well, so. quite. Don't he probably will? And probably will break our records. You were obviously in a really good place in life. You decided that you wanted to go back to your other love, which was which was the navy, um, and then fate, whatever it is, whatever powers there are in this world, intervened. Just take us back to that time. Just a little reminder, as you know, for people who don't necessarily know how the injury happened, what happened. It's always when things are going really well. You know, we've got a plan. Left left that chapter of Rome behind. Jeannie and I were thriving. She knew that I loved being back in the Navy. We had a plan to move down to the Southwest um, and work out with her work how we would manage that. But that was all done just when things are going well. And I, like, a, a lit fire again, just like 2012. Mm. And who thought I'd ever be that motivated again? But I really was. Um, there was a day when I woke up and f- fell out of bed like, like Bambi. And my legs didn't feel like my own. I had a strange gait. Um, I was in the sh- in the shower in the morning. I was first up to shower on this on this um, train, like a training camp location, but boot camp. Thinking, how am I going to go on this speed march later on? Like, what's going on with my legs? And crucially, I went for a pee in the morning, but couldn't pee. Just needed to go, but wasn't able to. And walked to breakfast like floppy legs, numb legs, pins and needles. Interesting, you were still walking though. So I was still, I was was, still walking. It was kind of happening in real time. Yeah, um, we haven't got to the best bit yet. (laughs) So, but could walk, but very, very strange. And told the medic on who's doing the course as well. And he said that not peeing in particular is a red flag. So he called the medical officer at 2-9. They got me down to Dereford Hospital from Oakhampton really quickly. Um, I went through A&E quickly, um, MRI, CT scan, and I remember a conversation with the doctor was me into a, a side room, um, and so you know then that it's bad news, um, but they found an area of my spinal cord uh, that had, it's called an infarct, so part of my spinal cord um, had the cells had died in that area, so they put me on blood thinners because they didn't know what caused it and kept me in for observation. And it was in that time that I had a second big spinal stroke. Mm. So at, at that by this time, Jeannie was down with me and there was a, a day where the, the pain in my ribs and across my chest was just extraordinary, worse than an ergo. Like b- bad, bad <laughs> pain. Bad. Yeah, bad pain, 10 out of 10 pain. Um, and Jeannie was with me, uh, I was in, in hospital, so in the right place, but um, I'd had a second spinal stroke, and, and I'll exp- what, why don't we talk about what they think happened? Because people like to know. So what they think happened was something called a fibrocartilaginous embolism. So the disc in my spine, right, at, right in the middle of my spine here, was crushed by the vertebrae, and embolized, so the plasma in the disc came out and closed an artery that supplies blood to the spinal cord. And if you stop blood from getting to the spinal cord, then the cells don't get oxygen and they die over time. So that pain was cells dying. Um, and what happens then is after 20 minutes or so of considerable pain and Jeannie holding my feet, I was wiggling my feet and then slowly they came to a stop. What happened was the messages 
that your brain sends to the rest of your body is like a, it's a motorway of neural traffic, just trillions of messages being sent all the time. And suddenly they described it to me as the motorway is closed and those messages don't quite get there. So where I was wiggling my feet, they came to a stop. But because it's here in my chest, it's not just your feet, it's everything below that, that injury level, the messages don't get down. So that, that was nearly three years ago, actually. Mm. Um, really nearly three years ago. Were you a ticking time bomb, or was this a result of, I don't know, 15, 16 years of elite level rowing? Do they know, uh, so or was it just they, bad luck? It's bad luck. So they don't know what caused it. They said, the doctor said much later on that they would know for certain with an autopsy. Um, so, so we can wait for Positive. that. So uh, we can wait, no, well, no drama. Yeah, but we can't. We, no, 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 we've got, we've got other stories to do. Uh, but so, um, so I'm just putting it down to bad luck and it's, that's okay. Since, since it's been public that I've had a spinal stroke for the last two and a half years, Lots of people have been reaching out. This is spinal strokes happen, and it's not something you need to worry about. But 12-year-old girls, 18-year-old boys, 78-year-old women, it can just happen. Um, and apparently 1% of all strokes are in your spinal cord. So really rare, um, because strokes in your brain are quite rare mm. as well. But it can just happen. So sad, and you'd never choose it. But I was doing what I wanted to be doing. Was I a ticking time bomb? I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with being a rower and being flexed the whole time and then being on an assault course where you're extended and under load. But you're, it's not even worth talking you're, about. You're, you know, brought up, you're kind of, we're all told to be healthy and to get to a peak fitness yeah. because it's good for you, longevity. And that, like I said, fate intervened. It wasn't, you know, I, I, I don't know as much as you, obviously, because it's not my body, but like... Is it easier to deal with the fact that it's bad luck and you can't blame it on a, you know, an elite rowing career? Um, well, blame's never no, helpful. Never I mean, so, so blame and punish fixes nothing. Doesn't help. Um, so I, I just don't go down that route. Um, yeah, I think it is easier that it's, it's bad luck. So I can pin, pin all of my attention on that and then you can kind of let it go. Mm. Uh, Jeannie and I early on in this process, it was a sad time and we were working through a lot of things, but we both said to each other, thank goodness this wasn't on a motorcycle. I'd just got my motorcycle license. I'd just been riding around Europe on a big bike and I was careful, but you know, that lots of people in the spinal unit were motorcycle injuries. If it had been that, that's a hard one to live with because you know, you, were, you choose your, you make your choices and you, you're living to your values, but Thank goodness it wasn't a motorcycle injury. So I suppose the answer is yes, it is more comforting that it was bad luck. Yeah. But I, I'm okay with that um, because bad things happen. And, and it's not the only bad thing that's going to happen in life as well. There, there are more bad things coming. So that, that's just life. You loved walking in the lakes. Yeah. Life in a wheelchair is not quite up, cracked up to, to, to uh, you know, taking on the lakes as it, as it could be, as it should be. So those moments where you manage to find some solace and some chance for you to be yourself, yeah. do you find those have, have disappeared or are you having to look for alternative ways? So that, I think there are some aspects of my life that are really emotional toughies. Um, and they're never as bad as I think they're going to be. But the easy things in life are going to new places, meeting new people because you've got nothing to compare it to. The tough things in life are things like 
going back to Caversham, the British Rowing HQ, where in a previous life I was tall and fit and strong with a, a, a perspective, of a physical perspective of the place where now I don't get that anymore. I'm not six foot six, I'm four foot eleven. And people treat me in a different way Still as well. Still taller than you, Kath? No. Because uh, he's blessed with height. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. You both look tall to me now. <laughs> yeah. um, going back to Henley Royal Regatta recently, always going to be a toughie. Now, a big toughie is going to be going back to the Lake District. I haven't been back there yet since I've been injured. I've driven past a couple of times on duty going up to Faz Lane. And it was really hard going up the M6 and passing the fells that I know, I know them by name to look at from anywhere. And knowing that, I wouldn't say I can't get back on, on top of those mountains. Uh, I won't be doing it walking. I mean, the prognosis isn't good for being up on my feet again. But there are ways to do it in a chair or with some support. But I'm not all about being carried up over Triffin and the gl Glitters or, um, or up over Scarfell and Scarfell Pike. I don't want to be carried up. So it means that I won't be going up to those places again. That's really tough because I, I love nothing more than being climbing up a mountain and then being on top and then going to the next one. That's going to be tough. One thing you are very good at is, is social media and you're quite good at dropping subtle hints to people who don't think about what life is like for those that don't have access of, uh, of the majority. So life in a wheelchair is like this. Yeah. Have you thought of just, you know, maybe putting a sloping curb here or, or something else? Is that something that you're quite passionate about? I think so. So I, I don't quite know what I am now or what I want to do. Not quite, because we're, we're right in that muddle stage of having a life transition. But luckily I've got lots of sort of help and guidance to make that process as easy as possible. So I'm, I'm not an Olympian and a, a rower anymore. I'm not a naval officer anymore either. These are big things that are in my past. There's, there's clearly loss there. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's loss when, um, when I'm seeing the, the hardest time. I don't cry very often, but I cried the day that Andy Hodge came to visit me. On day one of being injured, he came down um, the next morning phoned Jeannie and said, pop the kettle on, I'm nearly there at like nine in the morning when I was in hospital. And Jeannie said, I've got a surprise for you, someone's come to see you. And I burst into tears when Andy came. And I think it's because he's, he's never seen me cry before, but like you go through so much with somebody. I've never let him down before. He's never let me down. And all of a sudden, and we were both physical specimens. And I thought, you have to see me like this. That was hard. Mm. So that, those are hard moments hard and private and I'm happy to share them with you um, and now so you asked ask me a very specific question how do you handle those things and there, there are ways that everybody can handle those things like a, a toolbox for um, getting through adversity and critically I've mentioned it already but adversity happens and it and it will happen again and it will happen again and that's normal so when it happens to you just think to yourself it's just my turn and thank goodness I've been preparing my whole life ready for this next adversity and, and our next adversity is happening now and it will again as well um, we've talked about it already as well and I'm kind of summarizing this podcast in stuff we've already yeah. um, talked about but dwelling we do I never dwell on on medals and what we used to be and I can watch the Olympics and not think oh, I wish I had big strong legs um, I think Thank goodness I did that when I could. Thank goodness that when I was strong enough to go and row that I made the most of them with those incredible people. 
And so I don't dwell. And if I ever catch myself doing it, driving up the M6 and looking up and thinking, I'll never be up there again, I think, thank goodness I was up there when I could. Like I took, made the decision to go up after I, I left rowing yeah. um, and took that two weeks to go up to the Lake District and walk around. And thank goodness I travelled. And then that, those three things make you start practising gratitude. Like, thank goodness I'm with Jeannie. Thank goodness it's this way round as well. I'm really well equipped with support from the Navy, support from rowing, and a lifetime of, of suffering, appropriate suffering <laughs> in hardship to handle myself in a wheelchair. Thank goodness it, it wasn't the other way around. Jeannie's an, she's not my carer, but she's so caring and so thoughtful and laughs all the time. She's so positive. Thank goodness for Jeannie and so many other things in my life. So we've got a few things there. Just the reality of adversity, the, the don't dwell, the um, make your positive choices every day. These are things that everybody can apply, practicing a bit of gratitude. And it, it, it works. It's not like a magic formula. These are toolboxes. Um, it's a toolbox of things that you can do to make your life a little bit more comfortable. And then it starts to turn into something actually, I'd never choose a wheelchair, but I wouldn't give up the life lessons that I've learned, the, the job that I've done for the Navy since coming back from injury, the people that I've met along the way that have helped me out. I wouldn't give up any of those people um, to, to walk again. Mm, okay. And walking again, walking again is in my future. It's, it's, not, it's not in my past. You know, I don't think, oh, if only I could go back there, or what would I be doing now if only that hadn't happened? I never think like that. I just think, thank, thank goodness I met these people. Um, thank goodness I've done these things. And the, the future, whilst we don't quite know what it's going to be, it's worth working for. You're excited by it? Very much. Good. Well, that was so poignant, so heartfelt, so evocative. On this occasion, thank you for summing up your, your first two, if you like, I don't know, the first two elements of, of your life, rowing and the, and the Royal Navy. But yeah. we, we wish you all the very best with the future. And as I say, I'm sure we shall be calling on you very, very soon. Thank you, Pete. Thanks.